Continuing in Acts chapter 13, and last time we had read this portion, uh, which was Acts chapter 13, verse 4 through 12, but let's pick up a few other aspects which we didn't cover last time. In verse 4 it says, So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. So you see in verse 4, they were sent out by the Holy Spirit. And they had this sense of mission that they were being sent out by the Holy Spirit. And it says they, they sailed to Cyprus. So this, this island of Cyprus is the first place they went on their first missionary journey. This is where they went to Cyprus. And it says, and when they reached Salamis, they began to proclaim the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they also had John as their helper. And when they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they found a magician, a Jewish false prophet, whose name was Bar-Jesus. So, they reached this island of Cyprus, and they, they, the first place that, that they, they uh, try to share is, again, in the synagogues, in this town of Salamis. And we see no positive effects of the outreach in that town. And in fact, when they go on their second missionary journey to, to strengthen up the different churches that had started, they never returned to Cyprus. So Cyprus, for them, wasn't a place of tremendous success. We see no great conversions taking place except for this, this one man uh, who he, he shares with. And, and, and then we see this, this tremendous event that, that, came play, that, that took place. But, uh, um, so the, they, the only thing that's referenced is actually when they move across the island to this other city within Cyprus. So nothing really happens much in Salamis. And think about this. Here's these great apostles, and, and, and uh, Paul and Barnabas are going, and the first place they go, there isn't any great success. So just because you go on a short-term mission trip and you don't see success in four days, oh, well, then this stuff doesn't work. Maybe I'll just stop sharing the rest of my life. Oh, I mean, even these guys had cities where there's no success even mentioned. And so then they, they go across the island, and, and uh, um, once they go across the island, uh, when they reached Salamis, they began to proclaim the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and verse 6, And when they had gone through the whole island as, par, as far as Paphos, they found this magician. So they had gone through the whole island. Now they hit this island of Paphos. And it says in verse 7, Who is with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence. This man sum, summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. So this man of intelligence says, I want to hear them. Some people assume that because you're educated, you're intelligent. And I'm here to tell you, you can have a PhD and still be a moron. That can happen. There is nothing wrong with, with hearing diverse views. And this is what this man wanted to hear. It says he was a man of intelligence and he called them to hear the message. And for some reason, within the academy today, within academics today, 
Some people feel that to be intelligent, you shouldn't listen to the gospel, or the Bible has no place. Actually, to be intelligent, you should be open to it. And it doesn't disrupt me very much when people say, oh, you know, that guy went to listen to that, that Hindu speaker. It doesn't bother me if a believer goes and does that. Because I believe that what we have is so true, and the message is so great, we're not going to be disrupted by hearing other things. And it says, this man of intelligence called to hear the message. It is an intelligent thing to want to call and to hear the message. And the message that we proclaim is truly the best message. It's this message of forgiveness of sins and life in Jesus Christ. So now, let's move on down. So they didn't have much success except this, with this one individual, Sergius Paulus, in this whole island of Cyprus. And you'd think that, you know, if, if one convert from a whole island is referenced, and in fact they never come back there because no church was, was started there. You think, well, maybe they would give up. No, but they just persisted on. This is the Christian life. Just because we don't succeed in, in, sharing, in, in, in getting people to come to the Lord because we shared with four people, doesn't mean we, that we should give up. We persist. The same thing happened to them. Now look in, in uh, verse 13. Now Paul and his companions, remember, who were his companions? They, they were Barnabas and, and uh, uh, John Mark. Now Paul and his companions put out to sea from Paphos and came to Pergia, Perga in Pamphylia. But John left them and returned to Jerusalem. So at this point, John Mark leaves them. We don't know exactly why he left, but we do know that a great controversy arose between Paul and Barnabas over reinstituting John to come and travel with them on a, a, a later mission trip. So much so that, that, that Paul, Paul and, and John were cousins. That, uh, I'm sorry, Barnabas and John were cousins. Paul would have nothing to do with John at this point because John left them. So whatever reason why he left, we're not told why he left, Paul did not feel it was a legitimate reason. And he went back to Jerusalem, the city where he lived, where his mother was. But later on, in the epistles, Paul actually speaks of this man, John Mark, saying that he's become useful for my service. So the man's life was redeemed, very much so in a spiritual sense as well. But at this point, he was a young man and he left them on the journey. We're not sure why. Verse 14. But going on from Perga, they arrived at Pisidian Antioch, and on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. So here they, they, they set sail, they set to sea from, from this island of Cyprus, they come to Perga in Pamphylia, they never proclaim the gospel in that city of Perga. On the way back they make a proclamation, but at this point they don't. And then they proceed on to the Pisidian Antioch. Remember, they're from the church of Antioch, but that's the Syrian Antioch. There's an Antioch in Syria, which is just north of Israel. And then in Asia Minor, there's this Pisidian Antioch, a different city. And here is where they really begin to proclaim the Word of God. But the first thing they do is they go into the synagogue. And we will see that again and again. The first thing they do is they go and minister to the Jews. In every city, this is what they did. But going on, it says in, in, in verse 14... From Perga, they arrived in Pisidian Antioch, and on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. 
So here they are going into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And you say, well, why are they doing this? Because they're Jews. And Jews go to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. So if it bothers you that Messianic Jews would go to a synagogue on Saturday, let it not bother you anymore. Even the apostles who were Jews did that. And they didn't say, well, they really shouldn't go in there because they might slip back into hardcore Judaism and neglect the Lord. No, they were Jews and they still participated in that practice. They saw no controversy between this. In verse 15, after the reading of the Law and the Prophets, the synagogue officials said, sent to them, saying, Brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say it. Paul stood up, and motioning with his hand, he said, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with, the, and with an uplifted arm, he... He led, them, he, he led them out from it. For a period of about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And then he goes on and he starts to witness to them. But the point that I want to pick up is, this is a very common practice in a synagogue. If distinguished people come, once you have the reading of the Law and the Prophets, and you'll read the Law and the Prophets, they will allow guests to speak that they've never met before. There were obviously Jewish men who showed just by, by their presence that they were quite distinguished. Maybe they had had some conversations before the service start, and they invited them to speak. Remember, they had never been in this city before. But this is not unusual in a synagogue. In a church, it's very unusual for you know, someone to walk in the door and the pastor just says, come on up and if you have any word to share with us. But these people were so distinguished, and it's not an uncommon practice for a synagogue even in this day. In fact, if you go into synagogues today, even into Orthodox synagogues, very often when the rabbi is teaching, a discussion starts. So the rabbi will be teaching, and then men in the congregation can speak up and can comment on it. Very natural. This is what occurs in synagogues. And so Paul stands up, he motions with his hand, and he says in verse 16, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. Why does he make a distinction like this? Because there are people who are descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and that's what makes them Jews. And then there were many other people who were Gentiles but followed the Jewish ways, and they were called God-fearers, or they were called proselytes. So when the New Testament speaks of Gentiles who had converted to Jewish ways, it never refers to them as Jews. It refers to them as God-fearers or it refers to them as proselytes. So a Gentile could never become a Jew. It was something that could not be done. It is like, a, it is like if I say, I think that I, I want to become an African American. Well, I can think that all I want, but I can't become an African American no matter what I do. It is a lineage thing. And that is the way it has always been referred to in the Scriptures. Even Ruth, who came totally under the Jewish ways, was always referred to as Ruth the Moabitess. So, what we see is Paul makes this distinction, and we see now in this church in Antioch, because it was part of the dispersion, there were Jews in that church. There were also Gentiles that had converted to the Jewish ways. They were called God-fearers. And Paul is referring to both groups. He says, you're both here. I'm teaching you now. He says, the god 
of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm, he led them out from it. Look at the treasure in, the, in this verse. The God, of our fa- the God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. God made them great during their stay in the land of Egypt. Who brought Joseph out of prison in the land of Egypt and exalted him to be second only to Pharaoh? It was God. Who brought the people in, just one family, into the land of Egypt? A huge society, probably the most advanced society of that day, and made them so great in the land of Egypt that their flocks and their herds flourished. So great that the Egyptians became jealous of them and thought that they eventually, after, long after Joseph was gone, that they had to enslave them because they no longer remembered Joseph after a few hundred years. Who made them great? Oh, well, you know, Jews are just very smart. You know, they just do. No, it is God made them great. I don't believe very strongly in the social Darwinism that Jews are just inherently smarter. Not at all. God makes people great. God does this. It is because of a promise of blessing that God made to Abraham that the blessing comes upon that people. It is because of a promise that we have from Jesus Christ that God will make us great if we believe it. Everything we get in the Scriptures comes by faith. Will we believe that God is for me? Or do I have to mope around all the time and is that more Christian to say, oh, well... God's going to be with me, he's going to be with me, but probably he wants me to be beat up in life and kind of stepped on this. You know, that's just my own humble way. No, this is not the teaching of Scripture. If you want to believe that, go ahead and that's what will happen. May it be done to you as you believe. The other side is you can say, God made the people great in the land of Egypt. This wasn't even their homeland. God made them great. They didn't even speak the language. God made them great. Wherever you are, God can make you great. He really can. I have seen this in my own life again and again and again. I don't deserve to be in the positions I'm in. It is God who puts me there. And everybody says, oh, well, you know, you're very smart, you're very this. Let me tell you a little bit about my life. When I went to college, I didn't know the Lord. I was 18 years old. I was struggling in freshman chemistry because some guy who was some advisor who didn't know what he was doing suggested that I take the honors freshman chemistry. I didn't need honors. I just needed the regular chemistry with the masses. But here I was with the honors because he thought it would be good for me. And this was just over a conversation over like five minutes. And so I was struggling with this group of people who it seemed to me like they had been studying chemistry since kindergarten. They knew so much chemistry. I said, how could you know all this? I was just a regular student, just a regular guy at a regular university. And I was struggling with this thing. And then November 7th of my freshman year, I came to know the Lord and I started to pray. And I got a B plus at the end of that semester, which to me was an utter miracle. I graduated number one of all the chemistry students 
from that university. Just, and I took every graduate organic chemistry course taught at that university, I took as an undergraduate. And I, I excelled every graduate student in that university. This was, God was making me great. God was bringing me up. This is God. This is what He does if we will but believe Him. Paul starts out, he says, you know, it was God who made the people great. There is a treasure in that verse packed right in there. God will make you great at that which you need to be great in. He will make you great. If you will but get on your knees and ask Him, you do not receive because you do not ask. Okay, let's read on. For a period, this is verse 18 of Acts chapter 13, for a period of about 40 years he put up with them in the wilderness. And when he destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land as an inheritance, all of which took about 450 years. Okay, so look in verse 19. When he, who, who is he? When God destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan. Well, I thought that the, the Hebrews came in there into the land of Canaan and cast out this, those seven nations. No, God cast them out. It is God who does this. And He allows us to participate in this. It is God who brings us up. It is God who does these things. And He allows us to participate in it. And after these things, he gave them judges until Samuel. And he goes on and he starts quoting Scripture in verse 22 and he goes on further. And then uh, uh, he starts speaking about the resurrection. He starts speaking about what the Scriptures say about the resurrection, the Old Testament Scripture. He starts talking about the prophecies. You see how Jewish the Gospel really is. People say to me, how could you, being a Jew, receive the gospel? It's, it's just, you know, this Christian thing. I'm like, no, it's not. How could Gentiles receive the gospel? It's so Jewish. It really is so Jewish. The whole thing is based on Old Testament Jewish prophecies. How could any Gentiles come in? Well, they didn't. Until God opened the door for them to come in. You see, the amazing thing is that Gentiles ever came in. Not that Jews came in. It's all based upon Old Testament prophecies. 300 Old Testament prophecies concerning the Messiah. 360 of them major prophecies. 60 major prophecies concerning the Messiah. It has been estimated, and I'm not sure how this estimate is done, but it has been estimated that for one man in his life, to fulfill just eight, not the 300, but to fulfill just eight in his life would be the chances of one in ten to the 17th. That's a one with 17 zeros after it. And you, you, then you put that in the, in, in the denominator. So it's one over that number. And I've heard it said, and this is an easy calculation to do, I haven't done it, but I've heard it said, it's like having the state of Texas covered two feet deep in silver dollars. You, blind, you mark one of those silver dollars, you blindfold a man, and you say, find that silver dollar, and he reaches in and finds that one. That's the chances that just eight would be fulfilled. So what he does for them is he starts to give them prophecies concerning Jesus the Messiah. And he says in verse 34 of Acts chapter 13, As for the fact that he raised him from the dead, 
no longer to return to decay. He has spoken in this way. I will give you the, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, you will not allow your holy one to undergo decay. So there's from Psalm 16. So he's quoting psalm after psalm with them. And he's saying how the psalms themselves, the prophecy we have themselves, say that Jesus, say that the Messiah would not suffer decay, that his body wouldn't suffer decay. And he says that this is the one who's risen from the dead. And then in verse 38, he says, Therefore let it be known to you, brethren, that through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. This is the message that we have. This is the beautiful, liberating message that we have. Forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Forgiveness of sins. I remember the day that I invited Jesus into my life. I was in my dorm room. I was all alone. And I asked, I I, I said, Father, forgive me. And Lord Jesus, come into my life. And I felt clean. I felt a cleansing like I had never known before. This forgiveness of sins is different than anyone else or anything else can offer us. Forgiveness of our sins. God Himself proclaims to us forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. And this is what He proclaims to them. So He speaks to them the message of the resurrection. He speaks to them forgiveness of sins. And then He says in verse 40, Therefore take heed, so that the things spoken of the prophets may not come upon you. So now He's about to speak Scripture again. He says, make sure that this verse from our Old Testament prophets, doesn't come upon you. Behold, you scoffers, and marvel, and perish. For I am accomplishing a work in your days, a work which will never, you will never believe, though someone should describe it to you. So he says, don't scoff at this thing. I'm accomplishing a work in your day. Don't reject it. He says, the prophets told you that you'd be prone to reject it. And you want to know what we as Christians are prone to do, lest we think only Jews are prone to, to miss these things, we as believers are prone to not accept the teachings of the Scriptures and the blessings that God have for us. And people think it's selfish of me, but when I see believers and I try to convince them of the blessings of God and they reject it, they don't want it. You know what I say? I say, Father, the blessings that they could have had, I will take. Please grant those to me. Yeah, I don't want them to go wasted. There are blessings for all of us. And we are prone to be like scoffers and reject that. And to say, no, that's not for me. That's for somebody else. No, it is for you. Will you believe? Will you take hold of that? And look at the message that he preaches to them. It is so Jewish. It is covered in Old Testament prophecies. Why? Because they were Jews or they were God-fearing Gentiles who studied the Old Testament Scriptures. That is the context in which he's engaging them. We will see that when he starts speaking to Gentile crowds who are not God-fearing Gentiles, so they weren't, weren't these proselytes, these Jewish converts, he speaks to them with a very different sort of Method. He still speaks the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That doesn't change. He still speaks the forgiveness of sins. But he's not quoting scripture after scripture because there's no context for that in their lives. Here, when he quotes scripture, it resonates with something that they've studied. 
So he changes the way he preaches based on the group of people that there are there. This is a good thing to do. I speak to this class differently than when I used to have a prison ministry and go in and speak in the prisons because the context for these people was different. Their educational level was different. The message was the same, but it was packaged quite differently for them. And I would take lessons out of the context in which they lived. This is a good thing to do. And that's why there are different churches. In every city, you can find different churches because each one preaches the gospel a little bit differently. Each one has the dynamic of a different church for a different group of people. You can go to some churches where it's fine to walk in there barefoot. And that's fine for some churches. Other churches, it would probably not be good to walk in barefoot because somebody's going to get offended. Somebody's going to get their feet stepped on. This is what different churches are all about. And you know what happens with believers? Is we have a tendency to be like this. Oh, well, you know, I don't like the way that guy preaches it. And we want to put them down. Just leave them alone. Leave them alone. God has a different way for all different ministers. All different pastors speak it in a different way. It's for a different group of people. Leave other people alone. I think the reason why people pick on Joel Osteen all the time is because they're jealous of him. Because they're jealous. If he had a church of 50, nobody would bother him. But because he has a church of 50,000, he's the number one target. Well, you know, he doesn't teach us. It's fine for me. I hear his messages. It doesn't upset me. I may not, you know, want to... That may not be, for me, the best teaching that I want to hear every day, but I'm fine with it. And I look at the people in in that church and they're just, just so excited about the Lord. That is great. God bless him. May God give him another 50,000 in his church. God bless him. Because you see in verse 42, as Paul and Barnabas were going out, the people kept begging that these things might be spoken to them the next Sabbath. Now, here is a real success in ministry. Remember, in the whole island of Cyprus, there's only one man who's mentioned that had an interest and came to the Lord. The other guy, Elimus, or this Bar-Jesus guy, went blind. But you don't hear of any great success. But now, all of a sudden, in this, in this uh, Pisidian Antioch, in the, in the synagogue, this is not out on the street, in the synagogue, the people loved the message. And they said, hey, could you tell us more? Come back next week and tell us more on the next Sabbath. People kept begging them, please come back. That's a great reception. I mean, that makes any preacher feel good. Now, when the meeting of the synagogue had broken up, many of the Jews and the God-fearing proselytes... You see there? Again, it makes a distinction. There were the two groups here. There were Jews by nationality, and there were the God-fearing proselytes that had accepted the ways of Judaism. They followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, were urging them to continue in the grace of God. So, what is the message to the Jews? Continue in the grace of God. Because remember, these Jews were living under the law. The law is different than grace, and Paul makes this point. You can't get to God through the law. You've got to have grace. So he gave them this message of grace, that forgiveness of God is proclaimed to you in this man, Jesus, who's risen from the dead, and the Messiah. 
I want you to continue in this grace. It is a free gift, not anything you can earn through the law. This is why the message is there. Verse 44, the next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Lord. Now it's not just that synagogue. It's nearly the whole city. This was a major metropolis. This was a huge thing. They had never seen anything like this before. Remember, this was the first time this is happening. Paul and Barnabas are like, whoa. I mean, as they see these crowds coming, imagine what these two guys were thinking. They had never seen this before. This is amazing, and God gives successes in ministries. They came from a time when there was great barrenness in Cyprus, and now all of a sudden there's this huge, almost the whole city. So that means it's not just Jews and God-fearing Gentiles, it's also heathen Gentiles too are there. Now verse 45, But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. This is the verse I want to look at for a moment and use this to say we have to be careful about dumping on someone else's ministry just because they do it different. When the Jews... The Jews were fine with, 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 with Paul coming back and sharing. But when they saw the crowds, when they saw the whole city turn out, they were filled with jealousy. That's why I think that if Joel Osteen had 50 people, nobody would bother him. But because he has 50,000 in his church, he's become a target. And I'll have nothing to do with speaking negatively of someone else's ministry. I advise you to be the same way. Have nothing to do with it. Because very often, it's out of a sense of jealousy. A common thing that is said is, oh, well, people go to such and such church, but that's all entertainment. We preach the Word of God. It's very deep. Yeah, you and your four people in your church go very, very deep. And everything else is entertainment. You see what I mean? I mean, you just put the thing down. It's not entertainment. It's just a different way of receiving it. Just like there are churches that need to go very deep and to have four people. Because they like the Word of God preached in a certain way. Paul preached to Jews in a certain way. He preached to the heathen Gentiles in a different way. Shireen is so amazing. That woman has such a big heart, my wife. She sits in front of TBN. Every preacher that's on TBN, she loves it. She just, yes, yes. And you, you know, you, every preacher, doesn't matter who it is. She just, this is so powerful, she says. So powerful. And you just look at her. She's so full of the Holy Spirit. She can glean from any one of these folks. Any one of them. Doesn't matter if they're a man or a woman or any one of them. She's receiving. And there's only a few on that channel that I like. You know, you know, I see this other guy, uh, um, Ed Young Jr. So he's the son of Ed Young, who's pastor of, of, of Second Baptist. So he started this church in Dallas, I don't know, about 10 years ago. It's got like 15,000 people. And he has this TV program called Creative Connection. And so this guy will you know, bring in a tank into his, his, uh, his sanctuary there and have this object lesson around a tank. Or he brings in a Ferrari or something and he... You know, he talks about driving this Ferrari and talking about... And he uses it, dovetails it with physical relationships. You know, and you say, how does he build an object lesson out of that? He just does. And he, so he always has some, some visual there. 
I don't know how to teach with a visual. The only visual I got is the Bible. But I'm all for that guy because his visuals are great. The guy is so creative. He's also an artist. This happens to be our, our pastor's nephew. Uh, uh, so so um, our pastor, uh, Barry Landrum, his nephew is, is uh, Ed Young Jr. And so th- this guy will get up and he'll start painting some portrait of, of Jesus while he's giving his message on Sunday. And it's just this beautiful thing. And I can't do that. I'm not an artist. And he's appealing to a certain group of people, a certain generation, in a certain way. God bless him. This is the way the gospel is preached. You know, every one of us has a different gift. And different groups of people that we can share with, probably better than other people, in different communities where God wants us, in different ministries. This is the blessings of God, that it's not monolithic in the Church of Christ. Every one of us is different, with different abilities to share in different ways. Some of us are very in your face and others of us just, you know, put an arm around somebody and love them into the kingdom of God. This is the beauty of the body of Christ. And it says that the Jews were fine with this till they saw the crowds and then they got jealous. Let us not become jealous of others, but let us pray and bless them. As we bless them, we receive so much back as we bless them. And then he continues on in sharing with them. And so we'll pick it up there next time. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the Scriptures and for the Word of God and for what's been ministered and the grace of God. Father, thank you for the lessons that we learned through Paul. That there were regions where he had no success. There were cities where there are no conversions that are referenced. And then there are other cities... Lord, where where so much is spoken of in such success. Father, I pray that you would you would so work in our lives not to not to give up if there should be a place where we're not not really connecting. Father, I pray that you would continue to, to give us a, an ability to speak your ways and speak your word. Father, I pray for these young people that you would give them good hearts, that they would not speak negatively about other groups or other people in the body of Christ. And Father, I pray that you'd give them a heart to speak, to speak your word, to speak what is righteous and true. And then, Lord, also to believe your word, that it is God who makes them great. And they would take hold of your word and not lose out on the many blessings that they could have because of a lack of faith. Father, I pray you draw them to believe your word. And Lord, I give this to you. In the name of Jesus. Amen.